Welcome to this bonus episode of This is the Gospel, an LDS Living podcast where we feature real stories from real people who are practicing and living their faith every day. I'm your host, Corinne Lay, and I'm not going to lie. I am having the hardest time getting into the Christmas spirit this year. Maybe it's the fact that we're all still mostly in masks in public, or maybe it's the fact that the weather here in Salt Lake has stayed warm enough that the late summer flowers being irrigated by the leaky spigot out the side of my house, they're still blooming. They're bright yellow at the beginning of December. I mean, really? Or maybe it's a little homesickness for my family on the other side of the country. Well, whatever it is, I have got a plan of attack. A little light the world, a little more Christmas music, and a lot of time watching formulaic Hallmark movies of people who have wrestled past their inner Scrooge to find the true spirit of Christmas. Listen, I'm not watching them for their Oscar-worthy acting or the original dialogue. I'm watching them because they speak to a part of my heart that longs to believe in Christmas miracles and happy endings, even if the road to get there is a little bit sloppy or poorly written. And today, we have a story from Amber that I think is way better than a Hallmark Christmas movie because it's anything but formulaic, it's real, and it has a happy ending. A true story of what it looks like to wrestle with the realities of life's scary moments and come out the other end with hope, peace, and a true sense of God's love for us. Here's Amber. I grew up in a really small town in Idaho. There was probably 5,000 people and everybody knew everybody. Like everybody was intertwined in some way. And anyway, and growing up in this small town, there was a high saturation of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I remember over and over people asked me, are you a member of the church? Are you a member of the church? And I said, nope, nope. They asked me, I think, because of the way I lived my life. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't swear. I grew up in a really tough environment. My father is an alcoholic, and he was super-duper abusive. And so I knew at a really young age, that drinking and drugs and alcohol, I didn't want any part of it. I saw how it ruins families. And because I didn't, you know, do those things, I think that's why a lot of people thought that I was a member. I got married super young at 18. I married my high school sweetheart and we had two boys. And I remember we got a knock on the door one day And it was the missionaries. And they knocked on the door and asked if they could come in. And because I can never say no to anybody, I was like, of course. So they came in and they started teaching the lessons. And and as time went by, I just kind of had all these questions about kind of the kingdoms of heaven and how it worked. And I just didn't grasp it. And so I ended up telling them, no, thank you. And, you know, they came back a few more times. And anyway, they finally gave up (laughs) and moved on to someone else. Then a couple years later, another knock on the door, and it's a different set of missionaries. And, you know, they came in and we talked and kind of went through the same thing, the lessons. And I believed what they said, but I felt like I didn't have the knowledge of everything that I should in order to commit to becoming a member. 
Growing up the way I did, I remember searching for something, but I didn't know what. My whole life, I felt this emptiness and I was looking for something, but I didn't know what it was. And I looked for it in friends and I looked for it in boyfriends and coworkers and I could just never find it. Time went by and we moved back to the small town we grew up in. Because it's such a small town, everybody knows everybody again. And I knew the neighbors across the street were strong members of the church. We developed this friendship and it was a genuine friendship. It wasn't about the church. She never brought up the church. It was just a genuine loving friendship. And I ended up having a major back surgery. I remember lying on the couch, literally, I was down for the count. I couldn't get up. And I had these two little boys that needed my attention and love. I was feeling guilty as a mom for not being able to do the things that I wanted and needed to do for them. And the neighbor came over and knocked on the door and then came in and she made dinner for the boys and I. And I remember lying there thinking, who does this for people? Like, this is not normal. Like, I had never been in an environment like that, that somebody would just show up knowing you were in need, but too stubborn to ask for help. And, you know, I had family that were going through their own struggles, so they weren't available to do anything like that. And so I really appreciated it. And I remember lying there thinking, I want to be that person for someone else. The relationship changed in the fact that I knew there was a genuine, genuine love there for me I didn't know that was possible for somebody to do that wasn't family. It really did change our friendship. Time went on. I recovered from the back surgery and I ended up getting divorced. You don't get married expecting for it to all fall apart someday. You get married forever. And um, that was the plan. But once the divorce happened, I remember feeling so alone. I remember feeling like a failure. You know, I never wanted to say, yeah, I've been divorced. I never wanted a stigma attached to that. And I never wanted that for my boys. But I knew in order to progress and to protect them from certain things that that was what had to happen. I just knew that I had to protect my kids from the bad choices that were being made. And the neighbors were super supportive and kind and, you know, offered their friendship over and over again. And 
one night I had had a long day. You know, I was working. I was trying to give the boys everything they needed and wanted. It was just a lot. And I remember I get this knock on the door and it's, it's the neighbor guy and his wife. He came over and he said, we're really worried about you. And I said, I'm fine. The typical answer, I'm fine, you know. And he said, no, what can we do to help you? And I said, I can't think of anything right now, but if I do, I'll let you know. And he said, okay. And he said, can I have the missionary stop by to see if there's anything they can help you with? And I said, no way. I said, I have taken the discussions twice before and I know how hard it is to shake missionaries. So no thanks, please don't. I have enough on my plate. He's like, okay. And the next week I get a knock on the door and it's two missionaries standing there. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I thought, I told him no. And this is just adding more to my plate that's already overflowing. And I already can't keep up with what's needed and expected of me. Now I've got to figure out how to shake the missionaries again. And so they knocked on the door and they asked if they could come in. And because I can tell nobody no, I, of course, invited them in. And they started wrestling with my boys and playing with them, which I didn't know was breaking the rules, but later I found that out. But I had no idea because I don't, you know, I didn't know anything about it. They were there for about an hour and a half. And I remember just sitting on the couch and just like melting into the couch for a second thinking, I'm so grateful right now. They have these two positive male role models to play with them and guide them. And I am not the person right now that is giving. I can just take a breath. I just needed a breath. I didn't ask any questions about the church because I did not want to lead them on or stir that pot. And so um, when it came time for them to leave, they said, can we come back next week? And I said, I have so much going on right now. There's just no way I can fit it in. And my boy said, please, mom, please. And I said, okay, what time? That was it. And so they came back the following week. The boys were super excited to see them. And as we kind of sat there, I started asking questions about the things I struggled with the first two times I took the lessons. And as they started answering those questions and I got a better understanding of the church, I was more inquisitive. I had more more and more questions. And, you know, they came back and we went through the lessons and the gauntlet dropped. It was time. They invited me to get baptized. And I said, uh, let me think about it, right? So let me think about it. I thought about it and they told me to pray about it. I hadn't done it. But I was waiting for this lightning bolt moment to hit me where it was like, yes, you should get baptized. This is it. Do it, you know? And I waited and I waited and it just never came. And uh, the missionaries, you know, kept coming by and encouraging and trying to help in any way they could. Time went on and 
I remember it was Christmas Eve and I had so much anxiety and worry that my two little boys would struggle with the fact that it would be just the three of us for the first time on Christmas. And I was worried about them having such a humble Christmas and not getting that special thing they wanted. And at this point as a mother, I felt like I really failed. And it was about two in the morning. I was getting things ready, you know, for Christmas. And I remember the missionary saying, just pick up the phone and act like you're having a conversation and just talk, you know, just pick up the phone and talk to God. I was like, I'm not going to do that. That's weird. If you grow up never praying, it is really weird to pray. It is so weird because you can't see anybody. It just feels like you're kind of a little bit crazy. That's how I felt, had never, you know, never doing it. And so on that Christmas Eve, I remember lying on my floor and I just wept. And I didn't know what to do. Like I was at the end of my rope. And I remember thinking, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to do it. And so I picked up the phone and I talked to God. And I talked and I wept and I prayed and I just talked for about 30 minutes. And I remember crying a lot, pleading with him that my sons would be okay. I was fine. I could handle it, but I needed them to be okay. I remember pleading for answers. I remember pleading, why did this happen? I remember praying that the next morning that the boys would be happy and comforted. I, it was a long prayer for comfort because that's what I needed. I had never felt more alone in my whole entire life. We went to bed that night and the next morning early, I wake up to little bare feet across the kitchen floor and they come in and they said, Mom, Santa came. And they were really excited. So the three of us went out and sat around the Christmas tree. And as we sat there, I just remember this overwhelming, like undescribable sense of peace and comfort and in that moment I knew that Heavenly Father answered my phone call I knew he heard me I knew he loved me I knew he loved my two little boys and I know he heard me and we sat around the Christmas tree and they didn't get a lot but they were super appreciative for what they did get and 
for me, that was the lightning strike. That was a lightning bolt moment that I needed and I had been waiting for. But it took me to be completely vulnerable. That's when I finally leaned into Heavenly Father. After that Christmas morning, I knew that I wanted to be baptized, so I called the missionaries and I said, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. And on January 21st, I got baptized as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And life continued and life was still hard, but I knew I wasn't alone. And I knew that I could get through anything with faith. I knew that 100%. I have no doubt. My whole life, I grew up wanting, searching for this something. I didn't know what it was. And I knew in that moment I found it. That was Amber. And I'm going to start by telling you my second favorite moment of her story. It's that day when Amber was down for the count with her surgery and her friend showed up. She walked in the kitchen and just started making dinner for Amber's kids. I love that example of seeing a need, rolling up her sleeves to get the need met with love. Now, maybe you're wondering, like I was, well, what about boundaries? Because after all, this is the same friend whose husband sent the missionaries over, even after she said, please, 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 no. And while we definitely do not advocate ignoring someone's stated boundaries, it is interesting to me that the love inherent in the friendship is the thing that rises to the top of Amber's memory years later. But just in case you were thinking about sending some sweet 18-year-old elders to a resistant neighbor's door, we invite you all to remember the beautiful principle of honoring others' agency and the reality that it was her friend's real love that moved the needle for Amber more than anything else. And that brings me to my number one favorite part of Amber's story, that quiet moment when all of her pride was washed away in humility on Christmas morning. And as she put it, she finally leaned in to Heavenly Father. I love the imagery of that statement. Because what does it look like to lean in to Heavenly Father? I have this idea in my mind of what it might look like for me. And it's probably different for all of us. But for me, it's actually a picture that came into my head once when I was praying desperately for peace and understanding about the way my life has turned out. There's this park bench. And I'm sitting there with God, with my father in heaven. And I can't really see what he looks like, but I feel him. I feel him more than anything. He's important, but he thinks I'm important too. I can feel that. And when I look at us from kind of the third person view, we're tilted in towards one another like conspirators. Our elbows are on our knees on this park bench as we talk about life. And we're pouring over a legal notepad, you know, one of those big yellow ones filled with my tight black handwriting. And I say something and Heavenly Father looks at me and he says, are you sure that's how you want to do this? This is going to be hard. And I lean in just a little bit closer and without hesitation, I ask him, well, isn't this the fastest way to get where I need to go? This is the fastest way, right? And he looks me in the eye, and with such love and compassion, he nods, yes. And then I say, okay then, this is how we've got to do it. 
So we put our heads back down and keep going through the list. My list. In this funny little vignette, we're totally partners and collaborators in the story of my life. And every time I lean in to show him one of my crazy ideas, he leans in, he moves forward, eager to meet me where I am with so much love. There is so much about the reality of life that makes it really easy to keep heaven at arm's length. And maybe like Amber, we have tricky relationships with our earthly parents that wear away at our ability to trust divinity. Or we've experienced a heartbreaking and unfair circumstance that sends us reeling into unknown territory. It is no wonder that we don't always want to lean in. Especially if we have a vision or a thought that God is our judge and a sort of puppet master to our lives instead of a partner and a friend. But this is why my second favorite moment is so important to my first favorite moment in this story. The restoration of our trust in divinity doesn't happen in a vacuum. We need each other to model that kind of godly friendship, collaboration, care, and love. Because Amber learned to trust the love of her friend and those missionaries despite their rule-breaking ways, she could start to trust the solutions that they offered in her moments of anxiety and fear. And with each experiment of shifting her heart and tilting her soul just a little bit closer to God, she found that she could believe in Him as a loving Heavenly Father, ready to meet her right where she was. So, if you're trying to find your Christmas spirit, I want you to know that our little team, our little LDS Living team, is praying that you will find the courage like Amber to lean into God's love for you and discover all the light that He is just aching to pour into your heart, most especially the light that comes from His glorious Son, Jesus Christ. We wish you the most Merry Christmas, my friends. We love you. That's it for this bonus episode of This is the Gospel. Thank you to our storyteller, Amber, for sharing her humility and her heart with us. We'll be back with season four of This is the Gospel in January. But until then, we hope you'll keep in touch with us on social media at This is the Gospel underscore podcast. And don't forget our pitch line. If you have a story to share, we're collecting them right now about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed your life. You can call and pitch your story at 515 515- 519-6179. You'll have three minutes to give us your pitch, so be sure to plan ahead and give us a beginning, a middle, and an end to your story. If you want to help share the power of a good story with the world, you can leave us a review on Apple Stitcher or whatever platform you listen on. Every review and rating helps bump us up on the platform so that more people can find us. This episode was produced by Erica Free and me, Corinne Lay, with story editing by Erica. It was scored, mixed, and mastered by Mix at Six Studios, and our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. You can find past episodes of this podcast and other LDS Living podcasts at ldsliving.com slash podcast. See you soon.